The e-commerce fuel podcast is sponsored by Clavio, powering over 30,000 store email campaigns across the globe. And they're doing something really interesting for COVID-19 and all the crazy times now. They're running a daily survey where if you participate, let them know what you're seeing, what's going on with your business. Uh, they're going to send you a daily summary of all the results that they're seeing. So the one that just came out for April 1st, uh, this is not a joke. Uh, for example, said stuff like, you know, weekly sales month over month were up 26%, which is kind of surprising. They're seeing a lot of people moving from independent retailers, uh, moving toward independent retailers uh, online versus Amazon and a lot of supply chain issues. Probably some of the things we'll talk about in this podcast. So if you want to be part of that, you can be uh, uh, part of that survey at clavio.com. Just look for the little pop-up in the right-hand corner. And also, podcast is brought to you by e-commerce fuel capital bringing world-class experience mentorship and capital to your business uh you can get money just about anywhere but you're not going to get 100 plus years of e-commerce experience from uh investors who have been in the game and been in the trenches uh and seen this stuff firsthand uh some of the gents like the guys joining me today mike and drew along with a dozen of other people with expertises across the entire spectrum of e-commerce. So if that sounds interesting and you'd like to get a team like that in your corner, as well as some growth capital, you can learn more and start the discussion at capital.ecommercefuel.com. Hello, and welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast, the show dedicated to helping seven figure plus store owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. I'm Andrew Darian. And today on the show, uh, Wanted to get some good friends together uh, to talk about just candidly what's going on in our lives, how we're personally doing, how, uh, how our businesses are doing, what we see out in the landscape, um, and just some, some raw, candid thoughts on, uh, yeah, this crazy world that we find ourselves in. So joining me uh, is Michael Jackness from ecomcrew.com and icewraps.com out of California, uh, Drew Sanaki, the man behind nerdmarketing.com, uh, the CEO of autoanything.com, also in California. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Yeah, good to be here. I thought you were going to say I wanted some good friends to join me today. They couldn't make it. <laughs> we're the B team. Yeah, the C team, well, maybe. I mean, you, you kind of are the B team. I wasn't going to say that, but uh, <laughs> I had a couple other cancellations. And, and you Steve Chu obviously guys, couldn't make it today, so here we are. You guys are solid B, though. I mean, like it's a strong B. B. So that's that's good. that's good. Yeah, good. Yeah. So at least I know um, where I stand. <laughs> but, uh, yeah i don't know if we've i don't think we've ever have the three of us ever been on a on a uh on a podcast before i guess it's I hard to get the three of us in our room together and along on a podcast together this is uh this is like magic that's just happened here yeah it's it's very cool so thanks for thanks for making the time uh it's fun i'm looking forward to catching up with you guys and talking shop um and just yeah it's in this you know kind of insanity this new world we live in so i'm gonna i'm just dive right in um how's everyone doing personally and i may i'll let one of you guys go first here but um Let's start there in terms of just like my, you know, me, you know mental state, uh, how we're doing day to day and just, um, you know, kind of like checking on the, on the personal side. Uh, Drew, maybe we can start with you. How you doing, buddy? Uh, today I'm doing good. I'm doing well. I think um, the first week I was in shock. I think my wife was in shock. My kids are not, in, I don't know if they, it even registers for them, but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just like the all right, we're in longest home. summer vacation. It's yeah, like seven months of vacation. You know, and they're in. It's been a good week or two of trying to get the kinks out of having, uh, you know, two two parents with careers who are trying to, you know, kind of save their not save their careers, but 
like at least in my case, like it's a tough time at work. You know, there's a lot to do. And um, we've got two young kids at home who kind of can't, you know, they're not old enough to just sort of self-educate it at this point. So they need a lot of handholding. And there was a learning experience with the schools where they, you know, they'd flip us all these worksheets that had to be done tomorrow. And it was on us to kind of work with the kids. And it's just been, it's been, you know, it's been stressful figuring out food. All it's, it's, it's just stressful. This week has been better though. Yeah. Mike, how about you? Yeah. I, I love the way that, that Drew started off there. It's like today I'm doing okay. You know, it's kind of been <laughs> a bit of a roller coaster uh, mentally. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to, to just, you know, look at the positives, right? I mean, we're in a really good spot personally. I mean, we, we sold one of our businesses last year. We sold our house last year. We sold all of our stocks last year. So we're in a good spot personally, financially. You know, my wife and I have uh, been working together for, for 15 plus years. And, uh, you know, as entrepreneurs, there's sometimes when we have an office and sometimes when we work from home. And so a good portion of that, uh, we had worked from home and, and been home. And so this doesn't feel all that different for us. We, we went and got a, we actually came to Vegas right now and, and rented a house out here with more land. Uh, in a nice backyard. So we have a great place to be hunkered down uh, during, during all of this. Uh, you know, so right now I'm just, it's like this, this catch 22 of knowing that we're in a good spot and being very fortunate uh, and looking for opportunities out there while also feeling just horrible for all the small businesses out there. You know, when you have been in this realm your whole life, which I have been and grew up in it with my parents doing it and, and doing it myself as an entrepreneur you know what people are going through right now, like the people that own a small restaurant or the hair salon or an e-commerce business that was in the position that we were in one year ago where we were leveraged to the hilt to push the uh, growth to the limit. And had this happened a year ago, we wouldn't have been in as a fortunate position. So having to deal with that and all the constant news coming out is is tough. I kind of feel like the devil and the angels on the shoulder, just be positive and, oh my God, it's really, the sky is falling. So it's tough. Yeah, it's uh, on my side. I think the biggest thing was was the first week or two was was mentally just there was so much happening uh, and changing so quickly, and it still is to some degree. But um, just kind of just news overwhelm. I mean, mm-hmm. I I was clocking unbelievable like like three x record times on my screen time in terms of just like you know getting up at like one a.m. and checking like Dow futures and like checking right. Twitter and constant <laughs> just consuming. <laughs> unholy amounts of information, which is yeah. not healthy. And I feel like I've been able to back off of that a little bit, uh, which has been really nice. Um, yeah. I mean, there's still definitely some, you know, some hard spots, downsides for the business, but the one thing, like you said, Mike, on the, the being fortunate, I like to, I like to remind myself that as a you know remote team and as someone who's in e-commerce, which I think not everyone, but a, you know, a, a decent number of people listening are, you know, it's, it's, even if you're down, it's, uh, there could be, you know, it's, it's a fairly decent place to be in something that is this hard hitting. I think the way I described it once was getting hit in the gut instead of, you know, just completely run over by a truck. So, yeah, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's, it's been crazy. Um, have you guys, uh, in terms of business, how business is, is holding up personally, Drew, how's, how's things on the, the auto anything side? And maybe for context for people, it's, you know, auto anything is, uh, I mean, maybe you can give us a sense of how, how big it is probably bigger than most, you know, uh, a lot of stores that uh, that people are listening definitely outside that seven plus figure range, probably more in eight or nine figures. But um, yeah, how's I mean, how's that impacting your industry and business your size? 
Yeah. So Auto Anything is a dropship retailer of aftermarket automotive products and does in the low $100 million range, so low nine figures. And we just acquired a business called Morris 4x4, which is a Jeep uh, parts retailer, parts and products retailer uh, that does around 30. And, um, you know, I, I guess as you would expect, like the business has been, it's been really, uh, auto anything has been up and down, I would say more down than up. Um, we've had days where it's 45% down, other days it's been, you know, more like 20% down off the forecast. We've had a couple of days where it's been right on forecast, but uh, that that business has been feeling the pain a little bit more than Morris. Morris has had some of its best days. Uh, we're trying to kind of peel away why that's the case. Um, part of it's, I think, just that Jeep community is borderline survivalist and people mm-hmm. are stocking up on a lot of product there. They're also um, home and have time to work on their Jeeps. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's... We are, you know, even auto anything. So we've got products across so many different categories. There are certain categories and brands that are up and some that are down. And part of, I think, what will allow us to uh, find some opportunities over the next year are probably going to be identifying those growth categories and, and I want to say pivoting the business, but certainly focusing then a little bit more on those, those uh, growth categories. Drew, uh, are you selling CB radios now with this new acquisition? <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, we might, we might be. I actually don't know. Are if, you, uh, did we know. just change? Did you sneak my old niche here? And now you're the, now you're the CB, CB radio drop shipper. <laughs> right. Channel radios, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it was Pat and he said business has been really good, uh, for, for that degree. But, uh, in terms of the, you know, that, his business, my old business, um, yeah, very focused on the Jeep niche as well, and it seemed like it was doing reasonably well. So, Pat, so like, why aren't you acquiring me? We didn't acquire this. Yeah. So, you know, seeing this happen, um, we we closed the deal maybe a month ago, not even three weeks ago. That's, that's crazy. Well, congrats on the acquisition. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, exciting, uh, stressful. You know, it's one of these things. You, I think, when you you come to a recession, right? Like you either, you got to play defense first and then go on offense and defense. You've got to, you know, examine all your costs, examine all your assumptions and business decisions and try to just get through the survival phase. And then you can go on the offensive and go after some opportunities. So I think the first thing we asked ourselves was like, okay, how do we, how do we make sure we're generating cash if revenue is going to be depressed and, and really like, for us, it's been the quickest way has been to um, complete this acquisition of Morris, like get this business up and running and try to close the next acquisition. I think um, we're working on another one right now, but those both represent um, a lot more cash flow to us than than cutting the current business. It, it seems like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong or, or how I'm misinterpreting that, but it seems like that would be a huge source, like a ho- huge use of cash in the short run. Like, you know, if you're paying a multiple on those, depending on how you finance it and structure it, but it seems like that would be at least for six or 12 months, kind of a use of cash. Uh, or is it, is it, am I thinking about that wrong? No, you're, I, I would, I think you're thinking about it right. In, in our case, we are not putting up a lot of cash for either deal. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mike, how's, uh, how's business been on your side? It's been tough. I'm not going to lie. It's uh, It's been pretty brutal. Uh, our largest brand, which is Ice Wraps, does 
about 10K a day, typically. Uh, and it, there is some seasonality to it, but, uh, you know, it's, it usually peaks in the, in the summer and, and the lowest points in the winter months. Most of our business is, you know, the hot and cold therapy stuff is for people who are active. You know, they're out playing golf or tennis or hiking, or they're doing elective type surgeries, knee replacements, hip replacements, some sort of facial like Botox type procedure or wisdom teeth. All those things are just completely stopped. Um, you know, Little League is stopped right now, which is another huge season for us right now, which usually kicks off right around now. It's been it's been brutal. We're down to about twenty five hundred dollars a day uh, from from ten thousand. Wow. Uh, so it, it sucks seeing that. Uh, obviously, uh, our baby brands, our smallest brand, it's it's down uh, about as much percentage wise. And then our our tactical brand uh, has been doing really well, which you kind of expect. It's things that people that are preppers or are using uh, the thing that we're going to run into here though is that uh, we're starting to run out of inventory um, and this, the, our stock is at a 3PL and the 3PL had a coronavirus outbreak and has shut down to at least May the 4th now and so it's that awful feeling of knowing you have the inventory and you could be making sales but it's just stuck in the wrong spot and uh, we got as much of it into Amazon before they shut down because we kind of anticipated that could be a problem we didn't know when jurisdictions were starting these lockdowns if they were going to shut down 3PLs as well. So we just kind of made a decision to, to send extra inventory into Amazon. But even with that extra inventory, we're starting to run out of that now as well. Uh, so it's, it's you know, on, on the our, our particular business is on, on the front of that. It's, it's not great, but we have the cash to survive it. We're not going to have to do layoffs and we're not actually losing money as a company uh, we were wildly profitable going into this. Uh, we were making you know, mid five figures a month in, in free cash flow net profit from the business. Uh, and w- right now we've kind of gone down to about a break even, um, which sucks, but at least we're not running into a hole and having to now start considering laying people off and things like that. So it's, I guess that's the positive part of it. And on your Amazon sales, Given that it was, I'm guessing, kind of the, the, your niche survival, food, things like that, uh, those are are those still getting shipped on in timely manners from Amazon? Yeah, we've we've seen kind of some gyrations with this. You know, so it, at first, the all the hot and cold therapy stuff never never had a problem. So we never had an issue sending things in or the the timelines being delayed. Uh, but then we saw shipping times go out a month out for Wall Baby, which is why I think the uh, the sales have just screeched to a halt. Uh, the same had happened with some of our tactical products, but then uh, pretty quickly the the tactical products, they the, at least the stuff that was selling well, they they pretty much got it back to ship and, and deliver within like five days. And I think that Amazon's looking at things that are not necessarily quote unquote deemed essential, but that are still selling at a high volume, and, and so they're they're using that as a secondary litmus test of what's important right now, and. Yeah, you, know, you could kind of make an argument that the tactical products that we're selling right now are kind of important. They're like one step above essential. You know, things like tactical gloves are doing very well right now. Uh, our flashlights doing well. I think people are just being ready for emergency if like power goes out. Um, and a, a couple of our other products that they're that are kind of doing well as, uh, as well, which is is good. But yeah, I mean, it's unfortunately for us, we're going to be at a point really quickly here that we have the stock at a three PL, but we can't get it in Amazon. Yeah. What do you guys think too with uh, with supply chain issue? Is it mostly 3PL? Is it mostly like it's in Amazon, you can't sell it. It's at 3PL, you can't sell it. Uh, or is it you're selling through some of your really 
um, you know, your popular items and you're not going to be able to get those brought back in from China or wherever you source them. Uh, I'm guessing maybe a little bit of both, but Drew, maybe starting with you, where are you seeing the biggest supply chain constraints in your business? Um, ours started with uh, the lockdown on California. So was that a week, a week ago? We've had know, probably it's like eight weeks, weeks ago. Yeah, which yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it, has, it feels like months yeah. ago, but it was probably like 48 hours ago. Um, I, I would say 15, 20% of our vendors have operations in California. So I think a lot of them had to shut down immediately. You know, at, on the fly, we're, we're creating the spreadsheet the night Gavin Newsom made the announcement and populating it with all our vendors and, you know, when they expect to be back up and running. And I'd say there's probably like, 10, 20 lines on that spreadsheet now. Um, the vendors seem to have called off April, um, said we'll be up and running. And, and, you know, in most cases, we can source product from uh, distributors who have inventory, but at some point that inventory is going to run out too. We're just hoping that, um, you know, we can get through the month on most of our top products uh, before the vendors are back up and running again. Yeah. What about, and Mike, maybe from your perspective, are you, when you're chatting with your, your factories in, in China, uh, I've, it seems like a lot more Chinese factories are coming online, maybe 70, 80% plus at this point, maybe, you know, even higher. Uh, is that what you're seeing as well? Like is, is, uh, what are you seeing on the ground in China with your suppliers? Yeah, we, we hit the, uh, <laughs> the lottery of bad luck, I guess, on, on a streak of stuff, but our biggest factory actually is in Wuhan. And they were, they've been, <laughs> they've been shut down the longest. They've obviously had the, the, they've been hit the hardest, but even they're back up and running now, uh, not quite at full capacity, but pretty close to it. And they, they are processing, uh, making, uh, our highest in demand products for us right now. And so we've kind of worked with them and said, look, this is the stuff we need right this minute. We realize other people are inundating you with the same type of request. So please make this stuff for us first and we'll figure out the rest of it later. And so they are getting back to that. Our other factories that are, you know, in, in Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Shanghai, had very little interruption. They basically, you know, they were away for Chinese New Year, and so they were shut down already. And they ended up having an extra couple of weeks. It seemed like a delay of getting people back to work. But things from China seem to be pretty much close to back to full steam. It just uh, there's just like this extra lag now of uh, getting it to the U.S. But our, our stuff is in production right now. Yeah. Last question on the pessimistic side, and then let's kind of look at some uh, potentially silver linings and and intermediate positive potentials uh, from everything that's going on. H- how do you guys see this playing out? Obviously, uh, in a recession uh, of some sort, uh, even if the data hasn't come out right, um, how, how bad do you guys think this downturn is going to be? And let's use a scale, maybe one to 10. Let's have one be Great Depression, Let's have 10 be an incredibly short recession that just explodes on the back end with all this pent up demand. So 10 best, you know, best case scenario, one being uh, the stories that our grandparents would tell us. So, uh, or I guess, I guess our, yeah, grandparents would tell us. So um, Mike, start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I love this question because I think we're going to get three different answers and I always love debating this type of stuff. <laughs> um my my feeling right now, you know, one being Great Depression, five being short recession. You said I think five was like the middle was what we experienced is two thousand eight, which is all still fresh yes. in our minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I'm thinking something between like a three and a five. I, I do think this is going to be worse than the Great Recession. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize it yet, but uh, I'm I'm betting on the feedback loop here, just starting to kind of 
get out of control, which has not been talked a lot about in the news. I'm actually quite surprised. But when you have this kind of a jolt to the economy where 10, 15% of people are out of work, and yes, they've passed the stimulus, but it's not helping everybody. And you know, there's a study that came out last year that was heartbreaking, but not surprising that the average American does not have $600 for an emergency expense. So the average American being more than 50% of people in the United States don't have $600 for an emergency expense. And that $600 does not mean that they had $600 in cash in the bank. That's that they can't even get their hands on $600 through additional credit or whatever, you know, because their credit cards are maxed out. And so when people are at the tipping point already and something like this happens where they then they lose their job, yes, there's going to be unemployment insurance, but that's going to last for two or three months. And there might be some you know, rent forgiveness, but again, for a couple of months. The, their economic buying power, the stores that they go to buy at, are also going to lose the revenue from these people not having money in their pockets. And so then those stores are going to be forced to lay more people off. And so that's where the feedback loop comes in. And I also think that, yeah, there's obviously going to be pent up demand in the economy for sure. But this is the kind of thing where I don't think that people are going to get right back to quote unquote normal. You know, people aren't going to go back to movie theaters and concerts and get on airplanes and you know go to other crowded things right away. You know, it's going to take some time to kind of forget about, about this. And I also think that there could be a second wave in, in the wintertime. Uh, we've also just been bad at planning. I definitely don't want to get into politics here, but we've been disorganized at best at, at rolling out a, a, a plan. And so you know, what happens in the future has kind of got me, got me worried. And at some point, you know, the government can only do so much. And so I, I, I do think that this is going to have some, some long lasting effects. You know, I, I don't think the world is going to come to an end. I think that we'll come out of this stronger than ever, but I do th- unfortunately think that there's going to be some pretty serious pain that hasn't really been talked about yet. And this is one of these things where I'll be happy if I'm wrong, because I don't want to see you know, millions of people have to go through that. But I also just can't see a, a situation where we're not heading that way right now. Yeah. Drew, what do you think? I, I don't know that we'll have three different answers because I, I agree with everything Mike said. I think it's uh, I, I hate to put a number on it because I'm not an economist, you know, but I, I it's one of those things personally, I, I think in and at the company, we're hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And mm-hmm. that worst is is I would say one to three on your scale there. You know, is it, it's going to, I just think if I step back and reflect, reflect on like my two economics courses I took at college, I, I see like the Fed, you know, 20 X its balance sheet in mm-hmm. no time, you know, and you've got this, what might call the feedback effect is what I'm afraid of that, you know, we're a, our economy is driven by consumption and um, there's a lot of debt out there. And as soon as you have your unemployed consumers, like our economy goes to zero and they can't, consumers can't service their debt, be it student loans or auto loans or, or even rent. And at some point that's going to trickle through to a bank or many banks, you know, because the banks all, are over leveraged, right? So you've got you're going to have bankruptcies of of retailers and and banks and probably a couple of big hedge funds and I, I you know it's just the unknown at that point. It's anybody's guess. You know, is it? 
I think the the Fed will keep injecting money into the system, but it, how long can they do that? You know, I, are we looking at a future that's more like Japan? You know, where we've got that's like exactly negative what I was interest yep. rates forever, <laughs> or stagflate? You know, maybe it's not as acute as the Great Depression, but maybe the next five years are going to be like the '70s for those of us who are alive in the '70s, like just no growth, high inflation. Um, you know, they did rationing in the '70s, like rationing gas or whatever. Like, I, I, I just don't think it's going to be that good. I don't think the the next few years will will be that good. And um, so, yeah, I'm preparing for the worst. Yeah, man. Well, uh, so much for diversity of opinions. Here, <laughs> what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, if I got to put a number on it, I'm going to probably say a, a three to three point five. I think this is going to be. I think there's a very high probability, probably seventy, eighty percent plus. This is worse than the Great Recession of oh eight oh nine, and and I, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I'll try not to you know kind of pile on those, but I think a lot of things that you said that I agree with, and I think that. The thing that most people aren't thinking about now, uh, and it's really hard to track uh, until it until it emerges, is all of the unintended consequences. I think there are going to be a just insane number of second and third order consequences that we can't anticipate right now. Like you think about the housing housing crisis, and uh, unless I'm getting my history wrong here, which I may be, correct me if I am, but you had the the, the housing crisis, you know caused all the problem, you know, everything got, 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 uh, housing crisis, the housing prices, you know, took a dive and it wasn't really the housing that, that caused the initial problem. That was the initial problem, but it was like all the credit default swaps and just the, the ripple effect that, that went through the financial system that people didn't, I mean, nobody even heard about credit default swaps before 2008. I mean, even mm-hmm. people in finance, like if, you know, you ask them what those were, a lot of them would have to be like, what? Uh, I've heard about those, but I'm not exactly sure how those work. And th- that second order effect was what really caused so much instability in a lot of degrees. And I think we're going to have so many uh, things like that, that we can't anticipate. I was talking to a friend the other day who was in real estate and he was really, you know, he was, he was fairly optimistic that, you know, this is going to last for three or four months and things were going to come back to normal. And I just, I just don't see it happening. And so, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to go into Great Depression. I doubt we will. I think there's 10 or 20% chance that's what happens. But I think, I think there's going to be, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be heavier sledding uh, probably than, than 08, 09. So, yeah. And, uh, Drew. Um, so we're all agreed. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, at this point, everyone's just hanging their head in despair. We're going to get to opportunities in a minute. It's not as, there's, it's not all downside. But before we do, Drew, I, I have to ask, uh, are you still holding money in your Mongolian bank account? And how's that? Doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, and this is, it's kind of like what Michael said. Like, on a personal level, I feel like I've prepared for this moment, unfortunately. You know, I've got money scattered all over the globe in, in like, <laughs> currencies and metal and, yeah. Uh, crypto. Drew, I, Drew I, owns I, a I yurt I, on the plains of, of Mongolia. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, that yeah, part I'm is I'm just joking about that. I'm okay there. But, um, you know, I do, I, I also got a second passport a long time ago because I always wanted to be able to bug out somewhere. Um, and this would be the perfect situation to do that. Do you know where that second passport is? China. In what country? No, it's for Italy. It's like, <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. out of the frying pan into the, into the fire, into the one country that's worse. That's funny. Uh, yeah. So there um, goes that. Well, let's let's try to now that we've completely, uh, you know, absolutely depressed all of our listeners here. Um, let's let's maybe bring it back a little bit. Let's talk about some opportunity because uh, obviously you have something like this happen, and, and it's you know, 
you feel bad. Uh, you feel bad when this, when these kind of things happen, but, um, yeah, there's always opportunity, these kind of things. And so what, what, what are you guys thinking about? And I'll leave this up, you know, whether you want to talk about it from a personal investment standpoint, when you, whether you want to talk about it from a business investment standpoint, where are you guys seeing the most opportunity? Maybe we can start in the short run right now. So, you know, uh, at the moment, you know, April, April 3rd, 2020, where do you guys see opportunity uh, right now? And uh, Drew, why don't we start with you? I, on the personal level, I think I've been mostly in cash. And so I've been nibbling at, uh, at bottoms in, in the stock market, but I, I don't know if I'd follow my lead because every day, like today, they announced record unemployment filings and six million I, people. Everybody, you know, I'm just like, oh, of course the market's going to go down, goes up two percent. Nope. So I, do, I don't don't follow my lead. I think if you, if you are lucky enough to be mostly in cash now, maybe you dollar cost average in over the next year or something. But mm-hmm. um, really, I think you just I stay, you know stay liquid and, you know, put your money in T-bills or something. Um, that's really safe. But, uh, yeah. So you're, so if, for, for cash, are you planning on, on dollar cost averaging in over the next uh, year then, Drew? Is that kind of your, your plan to put cash to work? Yeah, I think, you know, it's been more, um, you know, we've got, everything's on the table now, deflation, inflation, hyperinflation. <laughs> I think there's, a, right. in that situation, <laughs> there's a strong argument to, you know, have some of your money and precious metals, you know, and have some cash at your house because there's a lot of counterparty risk if it's even at a bank, you know, and it just, things like that. Drew, like, just, Drew lives at 482 Cashmere <laughs> Lane in San Diego. Just anyone who wants to. Um, yeah. So just being, you know, being ready, being diversified is probably like a good Wait and you know I think the the primary who maybe I read this in one of Nicholas Taleb's books but it's like the primary goal financially isn't to initially isn't to identify those opportunities now it's to just avoid ruin you know like that should be the goal like you just want to avoid ruin and then worry about the opportunities later at least on a personal level I think everybody now realizes what risk means you know and that the market can go down as for many of those who are listening now, they've never had a down market, right? Or as as adult investors, now they have. Mm-hmm. So you reassess your risk tolerance. You make sure, you know, you're, you're where you want to be and avoid ruin. But um, as far as the business, so I've I've looked into recessions quite a bit, previous ones and what businesses did well. There's a study by McKinsey and there's one by Harvard Business Review that have both shown that it's roughly, you know, the bottom 20% of businesses go bankrupt in a recession. The top 20% actually grow through a recession. There are a number of businesses that have grown through past recessions and some that, you know, a, a lot of household names that came out of recessions like Domino's Pizza came out of the 70s and FedEx. And, you know, you just got a lot of these uh, household names that grew out of recessions. And, um I think I, I've come up with sort of four learnings or four rules on how to navigate the recessions. Would you guys like to hear them? Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> the first is I think that realization that demand, demand doesn't go to zero, right? I think mm-hmm. we're all in shock, but you know, a typical recession, maybe GDP goes down like three, 3%. And this is still like a $20 trillion economy. So we're talking about, okay, so it went from 20 trillion down to 19 point something. You know, there's still demand out there. 
and uh, it's just reallocated. You know, customers reallocate their demand. They still have to do, they still have to spend money. You know, in my case, um, in 08, we saw new car sales in certain months go down 50%, but uh, auto shops went up 20%, right? So people weren't buying new cars, but they were extending the life of their existing cars. So people still spend money. I think that's the first realization is just realizing that demand doesn't go to zero. It just gets reallocated. Um, and the second is like, if you want to make money, if you want to grow in a recession, you got to solve a problem that gets worse in a recession. So where is that demand going? What problems are, are coming out of nowhere and get worse in a recession? And can you solve those problems? And again, for us in the auto space, I think uh, we've seen clearly in some of our categories that um, there is this trend that you know, service stations are increasing, like the, the replenishment products, the brake kits and the, the basics that go in your car are doing well. So those are problems that are getting worse in a recession. So how can we solve those? Um, that sort of guarantees you lock in some demand. Um, the third rule is just is you've got to solve it in a, in a compelling and unique way. So that means, um, you know, can you, can you rejigger your offering, your value proposition to, uh, to address what's going on in the market? And then the fourth rule is like, you don't stop marketing. And I think, um, you know, we all read this and think about it, but recessions, like you don't want to be, the companies that fail are the ones that hunker down. They cut all their spending, they cut all their marketing and uh, they lay off their employees and they just kind of hunker down. I think the companies that have grown through past recessions are the ones that once they get that unique offering, they, they continue to market aggressively and, and take share. And so that we're kind of working through these four steps at, at my businesses now. Um, and I'm optimistic that we'll come out of it at the other end of a better company. Yeah. Patrick uh, from Supply Co. was sharing on Twitter. I thought this was cool. I mean, they were like a lot of people. I think they were, they were you know, down and they ran a, uh, an offer along the lines of, uh, you know, get, you know, if you buy a, buy a razor, you get an entire year's worth of blades for free which sounds, you know, in the face of like, you know, a very, uh, a very worrisome economic conditions, that's great. You know, you blades for free for, for a year, you don't have to worry about it. The marginal cost on the blades was very low. Uh, anyway, uh, just the, the way that they structured it in terms of their making sure the cost made sense, but also the messaging and, and the, psych, the psychology behind it, it just absolutely exploded for them. And so I think if you do that well, it's definitely doable if you can get creative sometimes. Yeah, Mike, what uh, what do you think in terms of opportunity right now? What uh, this is interesting because, man, maybe I, <laughs> Bill had to bail on us last minute, and uh, I think of all of my friends that uh, are a little bit uh, not preppers, but like you know have been worried about economic issues for the last little while. You, both of you guys fall into the category, <laughs> and so um, so maybe a little bit more of uh, on the financial side. You've been thinking about this from. You know, for six, 12 months, you actually sold mm -hmm. a house in California. You sold a business because you, you know, you, you were worried about this. And so, uh, right now, where are you putting, uh, maybe again, focus on the short term, where are you putting money? Where do you see immediate opportunity? Yeah. I mean, in the short term, so like last year when we sold our stocks, I put it all in gold and gold was at like $1,200 an ounce last year. And so my thought process of that, which, I mean, obviously that's a pretty crazy extreme move. I got a lot of criticism for it, a uh, but I saw hundred percent. Yeah. Almost. It was like, Jesus. like 80%. Yeah. It was about 80%. <laughs> that's, that, um, 
Yeah, so when I say was, when I say I, I've hedged into precious metals, I'm talking about like five five to ten percent. You know, no, no, I went I went like all in. I mean, I just I don't know for, in, for whatever reason I thought that things were going to hit the fan. I thought that gold was a good place to park money. I had some Bitcoin as well. I did I did keep some stocks um, that I've decided I'm going to keep all the way through this. So one of which is Tesla. Um, just because I own one and I love it. And I found that through life, owning stocks of companies that you are fanatical about yourself, like tend to do well. Um, and so that just kind of parked on the, the the side. But, you know, I remember talking to Andrew about this last year. Just I, I saw an inverted yield curve. I saw debt numbers, both personal and corporate at all time highs. I came under the realization after doing a bunch of research that what was really fueling the stock market was stock buybacks and not actual like the economics of, of the companies and that things were just way out of whack. And that's something, whatever catalyst it was going to be, I had no idea what, I, I certainly didn't expect coronavirus to come, but I thought something would, would get things going in the other direction. And it kind of just scared me. And I also saw overnight lending uh, seizing up and the, the Fed having to come in and inject money in the money supply, which it was just printing more dollars and making the dollar worth uh, less and gold worth more. And so that investment has done has done quite well. And actually, uh, into this, I've uh, bought a bunch of puts on the S and P five hundred, and uh, put even more money into our gold position. And so I think, you know, and I'm certainly not a, a financial advisor. So like this is certainly not any type of financial advice. Just what I've done with myself. I I think that gold's still a great investment, even where it is right now. You know, the amount of money that the Fed is printing right now and throwing it, as uh, Drew just said earlier, the amount they put on their balance sheet is just astronomical. It's like, it's just absolutely crazy. These numbers are, if you look at them on a graph, like you'd have to to create a whole new scale to put them on. And in the, and in the past is going to like be like, look like it's not even registering. It's going to be such a small amount on the graph until like the last year happens. It's just, it's, it's, it's insane. And so I, I do think that that gold is going to continue to, to increase in value. Um, you know, in, in terms of, of business opportunity, I'm looking at a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, I'm obviously a part of ECF capital. I'm super excited about e-commerce as a long-term investment uh, mm-hmm. and getting invested in other, other businesses. Um, you know, again, I look at myself, I'm pretty public and vulnerable when it comes to this type of thing. And I've been very real on, on our podcast and things I've talked about, where I know that if this happened literally exactly one year ago today, we would be uh, a word that I can't say on the podcast. I mean, just so just so screwed because we we had leveraged really hard to because I was bull- bullish on the market and e-commerce, and uh, we kept on getting more and more debt to fund inventory. We were responsible, but you can be as responsible as you can possibly be, and not you can't plan for something like this. So we would have just been up the creek. We would have been begging people for money or selling something off at a fire sale. And so I think that those opportunities are, are going to be there. And it feels awful on one hand to to take advantage of that situation, knowing that you know someone worked really hard to build this business and they got caught at the wrong place at the wrong time. But I've also been there in my career and you know I'm sure the person that did that to me didn't feel bad. And so we're, we're going to find the right business and or businesses and uh, and buy them or invest in them or whatever that are in that situation. But also, you know, there, there's still businesses that, that Andrew, you and I have talked about recently, recession or, or not, or coronavirus or not. Like these are great companies, great stories that I, I think are just great long-term investments. I mean, 
people are going to be consumeristic no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, even if it gets to a three on this scale that we were talking about. And so I'm looking for things that are that are more recession proof. You know, there's nothing that's perfectly recession proof, but I as much as I was talking about how ice wraps has really suffered recently. I love that business right now because it's kind of a boring business that people need these products. Um, you know, people are going to, you know, once the coronavirus scare goes, like people that need a knee replacement surgery, they're going to, they're going to go do that. They can't walk or, um, you know, if you need a wisdom tooth yanked, it doesn't really matter if it's recession or not, you're going to go do it. And so these types of, you know, cold therapy type products, I think are, are going to do very well. And so looking at, at businesses that are kind of agnostic when it comes to uh, recession and markets. Um, and again, just very bullish on, on e-commerce in general. Uh, I think you look at the long-term trend every year, every single year, e-commerce gets a bigger piece of the pie. And I think you're going to see a disproportional increase this year because you know people are stuck at home. They're being kind of forced to order online more. And a whole new set of customers are going to come online for e-commerce that, that simply were against e-commerce before. And I think my parents or grandparents type generation would be the the generation I'm specifically talking about, where they were kind of turned off by technology or scared about it or didn't trust putting their credit card uh, online and all these different things that I've heard uh, from, from that generation. You know, once you, you, you do that and you have an Amazon account or you have your information on Shopify pay, you realize like how easy it is. Um, and I think that this is going to be a long-term trend. And I think that a lot of retail stores are going to be forced to go out of business because of this which is going to accelerate it even more. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely very bullish on on this niche long-term and I'm really happy that we've already put our 10,000 hours into a niche like this. So when opportunities like this present themselves, that we're really ready to hit the ground running at 100%. Yeah, I, in terms of e-commerce, I think it's going to be uh, hugely advantageous for the, the, the sector in general. And I want to talk mm-hmm. about that before we pivot to that. The last thing I want to say on opportunity is I think, you know, if you, there's going to be, just speaking frankly, there's going to be a lot of businesses that go under because of this, right? It's going to be brutal. Uh, if you are one of the businesses that's able to stay around, either because you're able to to be lean and be smart, or you just were able to, you know, to save up for this and you had a little bit of cushion, I think the opportunity to become stronger is phenomenal. I mean, you think about from a staffing perspective, whether you can keep your team around and treat them well in a recession. Uh, people remember that, what, you know, or, or whether you're looking to pick up talent, like right now is, is a phenomenal time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think probably increasingly so in the next six months as this plays out more to get just unbelievable players on your team. Yep. Um, it's a great time to hire. Uh, it's a great time to increase market share. I mean, if you look at uh, next week, uh, I'm going to have Taylor Holiday on the podcast. We're going to talk about a lot of the trends that he's seeing in paid traffic with Facebook and some other things. Uh, and the conversion rates are down in a lot of instances, but traffic, you know, it's 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 a lot cheaper to to advertise right now. Uh, on the acquisition front, you know, if you can buy a, a competitor uh, and add that market share right now, that's a phenomenal way to grow. Uh, it's an incredible time. Once you have your short-term needs covered and you know that, you know, you got enough to, to, to float to go on offense with your business. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, don't uh, forget so, what you just said about the, the companies that come out of a recession in a better position than ever. And, and so this is like the opportunity of a lifetime to be that company. Right. And uh, that's is. what we're looking at doing. Yeah, yeah. The company, I think, um, you know, for those of you who are young going through this, you should be thanking your lucky stars that the, the market's going down while you're young, so you can ride it up. But for us as business owners, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Like 
acquiring talent and acquiring companies. It's just a, in acquiring customers. It's just a great, it's a great time to do that. It's easier. I mean, within weeks, we've gone from a, a spot of having to like beg talent to like come work for you. I mean, it's like been so difficult, like getting employees hired. You're at an all time unemployment, yep. low, you know, employment rate low. And your companies were having to to dance every way they possibly could to get someone in the door. Uh, you know, things are going to change right now. Like there's going to be a flood of that talent available because companies are having to let people go that just over leverage or got themselves in a bad spot or just weren't prepared for this. And so there's just tons of talent out there right now. I mean, what an amazing opportunity to, to grab them up. And they're going to be just thankful to have a job right now versus the <laughs> the the way that it was before. We had to basically beg them and offer bonuses or you know, get the right candy bar, you know, in the snack drawer or whatever, all these things that people wanted. It's just like, yeah, just be happy you have a job right now. And so I think that uh, things have pivoted back to to being advantageous for the employer. Yeah. And also not even just new customers, but existing customers in terms of fostering loyalty. I see two sides of the coin here. I've seen uh, on one side, some SaaS apps uh, and just companies in general that have not been flexible, that have kind of just haven't really they haven't given much, uh, and they've kind of been very strict. Uh, and, and you know, people notice that. And I've also seen other companies, two that come to mind. One is Uline. Uh, I know Uline was prioritizing shipments for things like uh, masks and hand sanitizer for for customers that had ordered those historically, or were really top customers. Uh, and there's another company, Don't Give a Crap, uh, who makes like the you know the toilet paper. And I believe they did something similar where. You know, they they prioritize toilet paper, you know, the new Bitcoin, so to speak, uh, you know, store of wealth uh, for customers in the past who have been loyal, right? And like, obviously, this could be different for every niche and market, but to be able to do things like that, uh, people remember this stuff, you know, for years. And it's an incredible time, too, I think, to build a lot of loyalty if you treat your customers right. Agreed. Yeah. We were able, yeah, so- to, uh, we were able to work with one of our so this vendor was any, unable to get product from out of the country into the country because Mexico shut down the border. Um, and so we were able to work with them to rejigger a plant they had in Anaheim to produce masks. And so we've started selling those masks, um, timely enough, like yesterday, to starting with our customers. I think that alone... That alone earned the customer's respect, right? Or at least we've made these available to our customers initially. They weren't on the site. Then we put them on the site. And it also like the message of, okay, these are made in the United States. We're helping an American manufacturer here. We are making a profit on them, but we're giving half of that to, or we'll donate, essentially for every mask you buy, we donate one. So that was a nice thing that we were able to kind of pull together over the course of a couple of days to really start, uh, I don't want to say taking advantage of the situation, but it's like, I think we've earned some respect from our customers, from our vendor community, because we help them out. Um, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. I just read today that Trump wants everybody to wear a mask. So I'm sure we'll be out of our supply pretty quickly. But. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to, uh, guys, uh, kind of wrap things up on the thought of long-term implications for e-commerce. And, and, and Mike, Mike you, were, you already touched on this. I think I'd be surprised if all of us didn't agree uh, in terms of just that this is, at least there's obviously a lot of pain being felt right now, but you look intermediate to long-term and this, this is going to be a good thing. For e-commerce, additional customers coming online, people getting, uh, you know, uh, just for all the reasons you mentioned, I won't, uh, I won't belabor them. But I want to talk about maybe specific changes that you guys think this is going to, that we'll see in kind of the e-commerce ecosystem because of this. And one that 
one that I think is going to happen is, is, and this is something that I, I thought was going to happen already with Amazon. Um, but I think this will probably accelerate it, or maybe this will be what actually pushes it. Uh, and my thesis was, you know, previously completely wrong, but now by pure luck, it's right. I think merchants are going to increasingly start pulling away uh, from Amazon in terms of uh, not just the demand side, but the fulfillment side, right? Like if you, most people, when we've talked about Amazon being a difficult business to be in right now, uh, or, or the problems you have with it, sometimes mostly people complained uh, about things like, you know, um, you know, costs going up, all the rules and regulations. Few people complained about the supply chain. It was pretty great, right? Like there's some downsides. You, you don't have as much control and customization, but reasonable shipping rates uh, sent out one to two day to your customers is pretty phenomenal. But man, when you start thinking about a situation like this, where not only is all of your demand on that platform, but all of your your logistics and supply side also is completely held up there. Like if you're not in a niche like survivalist or, or food kind of issues, uh, essential items, that's, that's scary. So I think we're going to see a shift, uh, an acceleration in the shift towards people not necessarily not selling there, but more people, even more than they were starting to think, man, I really need to invest off off Amazon into my my independent store into some of these other channels. So uh, I think Amazon's going to come out of this really well. I think, and I think it's hard to, I don't blame them for the decisions they made on on prioritizing essential items. I think that was a good decision, a right decision. I think they've done a pretty dang good job, uh, and yeah, I think they'll come out with some earned respect on the backside of this. But I also think it's going to change the calculus even more for how store owners think about Amazon and their business. So what do you guys see in terms of implications for e-commerce long-term, you know, you know, let's say one, two, three years out from this? Andrew, why don't we start with you? I, I think it's, I think e-commerce is going to come out of this thing like a, like a bull, you know, it's just, I don't know if it's going to be anybody other than Amazon and Walmart. I think it will be, but um, certainly consumer behaviors are changing. People are ordering everything online right now because that's what they have to do. But I don't see them completely going back how the way things were, you know. And so I'm really bullish on it. I'm, I'm excited to be in this space. And um, as Jackness said, have my 10,000 hours in e-commerce. I think uh, if I can go on a bit of a buying spree over the next couple of years um, and choose some categories where, uh, you know, they should do well in in a in less than perfect economic environment, then I think I'm really bullish on it. So I mean, you know, as long as we can weather the next couple months as a business, I think uh, it bodes well for my business too. And Mike, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I already kind of said a bunch on this. So I'm going to push back a little bit on the Amazon front. I mean, I think the scary thing here is that they probably solidified even more power out of mm -hmm. all of this. Um, you know, they've proven that they have the infrastructure to even withstand this. And obviously, yes, non-essential things kind of, the, the demand on the essential stuff got so high that it was a sacrifice to the non-essential stuff. But as someone who's had their own warehouse and, uh, and played that game of pick, pack and ship and all that, I don't know that a small business can, can compete. You know, it's, it would have been difficult if we had our own warehouse right now, trying to ship the volume of orders that we were shipping through Amazon. Uh, it, and I have a lot of friends that, that are doing that right now. And it's just very difficult in the pandemic type situation where you can't have people close to each other. And you, but you know, obviously you need to be kind of close in a, a pick pack and ship environment. Uh, Amazon just really at the end of the day has infrastructure like nobody else. I think they probably have gained a lot of prime members right now. It's. I'm. I'm worried that they got even more 
even more power out of this. And, and yes, companies want to get off Amazon sales. I mean, we talk a lot about that and I spend a lot of time and effort doing that. But one of the realizations that I had in 2018 and 2019, we spent a disproportionate amount of time, effort, and money trying to get off Amazon sales, <laughs> uh, you know, at a lower profit and just more hassle. And it just, I, I want those to, to be diversified and balanced, but I think it's going to be even harder uh, after this to to get those to get those off Amazon sales. It, it's obviously niche and brand specific. There's there's outliers and on both sides, but I think down the middle, Amazon's just so good at at fulfilling things in a way that the average small business just can't do. I mean, you, you have one warehouse and you can get to people within two days in just a small geographical region around where where you you're shipping from. Amazon has seventeen touch points or whatever that is, and it can cover the whole country uh, within one day shipping ground. Uh, it's it's just infrastructure that's really hard to compete with. Yeah. No, I, and I, I agree with you. I think in, in terms of raw infrastructure, there's obviously no one that can beat them. But I do think you're going to see offerings like uh, Fulfillment by Shopify or Shopify Fulfillment, whichever, however they say it, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. You know, I think that's going to do extraordinarily well once uh, you know they start rolling that out more broadly. Um, and I think it, if, if, if it was me looking at how I was going to make that work, obviously you don't stop selling on Amazon, but with this so fresh in your mind, you hedge your bets a little bit. So, you know, maybe you have some on Amazon, but you also have a lot of your inventory in something like the Shopify fulfillment, net, fulfillment network. Maybe you keep a little bit locally if you have a warehouse and you also maybe do some outside 3PLs. And obviously you got to balance that with logistics and managing all of those inventory sources. But, but um, even still, I, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think Amazon's going to come out here a lot more powerfully too. But you, I think there's also a lot of people who are also, like you said, there's there's people that are shopping, getting pushed online for the first time ever. I think there's also a lot of people in the in the environment right now who can't buy something on Amazon are going directly to the the merchant site. Some of them can't ship, but a lot of them still can. And they're starting to be like, oh, hey, you know, I can buy this directly from the merchant and maybe I don't get it in three or four days. But once you do that once... Uh, especially with a brand, if you're going to go back to them, you're much more likely to do it again. So, does that change a macro trend though? Because it's just like I'm I'm going to this this store's website because I can't get it on Amazon. It takes four days to get it. The day that Amazon has it again, I already am a Prime member. I already have my information there, and I can get quote unquote free shipping and have it in two days. Does the consumer go back to that as soon as it's convenient to do that again? Yeah. No, it's, I, you're definitely going to see, yeah, that's true. You'll definitely see some slide back for sure. Um, but I think you will see some people stick around. Who knows? It's. I think you're right, though. I think in terms of the Amazon front, they they definitely come out of this much stronger. Yeah. I mean, I think so. they're our best case scenario with Amazon is some sort of government intervention and finally putting a stop to just like how much power they have. But who knows how long it'll be before that happens, if yeah. ever. Well, gentlemen, um, this has been great. Uh, covered a lot of ground here. Um, it's been an insane, uh, insane month, but uh, really enjoyed rehashing it all with you. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, wish you the best for, for the business, for the for the gold hoards, for the Mongolian bank accounts, uh, <laughs> for, for everything. The and, thing that's um, funny about this podcast, Andrew, is by the time it goes live, it's going to be completely out of date. It's going to be totally irrelevant. Thing is, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> going to go live in just over 12 hours yeah, and it's, it's like still going to be completely irrelevant out of, out of date <laughs> <laughs> it's funny like we've been talking about this and uh bill was going to join us couldn't like i mentioned it for for some last minute reasons and he's texting me saying the 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 payroll 
uh, protection program already is being amended. You know, I, we were going to maybe talk about that a little bit on the podcast, but like as soon as we hit record, I get that text and I'm thinking, wow, well, you know, even a day is not enough time to keep current on these kind of things. So uh. it's nuts. But um, Drew, Mike, I always enjoy chatting with you guys. Uh, thinking of uh, thinking of you boys and uh, and your businesses. And um, yeah, thanks for making the time to uh, to come up and talk. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Good luck, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. And again, big thank you to Clavio uh, for making the show possible. If you'd like to get those survey results and be a part of uh, the research that they're doing around what's going on with COVID right now, uh, you can do that at clavio.com. Just check out uh, the, the little pop-up in the right-hand corner. And if you're a seven-figure-plus store owner and you'd like to join us, talk with a thousand other in-the-trenches store owners about what's going on right now, uh, you could do that. Apply for membership and, and learn more about our community at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it and looking forward to chatting with you again next Friday.